Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best Guild Ball podcast. Please stand by. Welcome to episode 104. In this episode, Andrew and Steve talk to Matt Hart about the future of Steam Forge games, the nature and future of Guild Ball, and the Steam Forged Champion program. Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Atlantis off the maps. Who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do, we do. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes the Gutenberg a star? We do, we do. Who robs Kingfish of their sight? Who rigs every Oscar night? We do. Andrew, this is Steve. How you doing? Um, and this is Matt. Hello. Uh, so Matt Hart has very kindly to um, come on today and talk to us about, well, uh, stuff really, um, presumably stuff about Steamforged. Well, anything and everything. I mean, we are all self-isolating, so um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we could wax lyrical for hours. How was your um, trip around Mexico and America and Gamma and all that? Do you know what? I, 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 I was kind of happy to leave Mexico. Don't, I mean, Mexico's Great place. Um, I found it a little bit intimidating um, in terms of atmosphere, but that wasn't the, the the thing that really got to me. It was the altitude and the pollution in Mexico City just absolutely killed my chest and my throat. And with the um, at that time, sort of like the ever increasing um, sort of worry about coronavirus. Uh, every morning I'd wake up in in the hotel thinking, "God, I can't breathe. Please don't let me have the virus. Please don't let me have the virus." Um, so I was quite pleased to sort of like, uh, get, get away from there. And the minute I got, um, over to Reno, uh, and started breathing some of that sort of fresh desert stroke mountain air, um, I started to feel a lot better, but uh, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun in Mexico. Hell of a lot of fun. Um, so we have a bunch of questions, um, to ask you today. Um, sure. Steve, do you want to take it off? Yeah, I think, I guess, should we talk a little bit just about the, the, you know, the reason that we, uh, asked, asked you on Matt and like when, why you kind of accepted, I think was a combination of i guess it's been a long time since we've had you on so it's a, <laughs> that's good to have and then it was sort of about i i felt to me and andrew when we were chatting separately there's quite a lot of confusion between the community and sfg about you know where sfg is going and sort of direction and that sort of thing and i think there's some and i think that sits very firmly in both camps and like sf uh you know sfg have done some stuff really well and some stuff they've you know you guys have obviously been going through a change period and then i think the community often has very unclear expectations or uh you know or sort of is not totally sure about where sfg actually sits so we just wanted to talk a bit with you about you know your your sort of big picture stuff i think for starters so i guess like where is sfg like sort of size structure vision that sort of thing like where are you guys going and where have you come from if that makes sense 
Because I think most people know you're a startup that runs Guildball, but then they're <laughs> not so sure about the diversity, the diversification of products you're going through and the scaling up you've been doing. Right. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a great opening kind of question. So, so Steamforged um, did, as you, as you rightly say, and as probably everyone knows, started with Guildball, but then quickly um, uh, hit, hit the ground at a thousand miles an hour with the success of Dark Souls um, as a board game. And one of the things that, that Rich and I both recognized quite, quite early on was the need to maintain a healthy and, and relatively diverse portfolio. And we'd looked at other companies that tended to be more one game or one IP centric. And we observed how, how vulnerable we felt they were to, to, you know, shifting players, you know, and, and what people want out of games and, and trying to stay ahead of the curve because however hard you try, games do get dated and, and, you know, design philosophies, you know, move forward and, and there's new things you want to try all the time. So we we recognised really early on that that's what we wanted to do, and the opportunity of observing Guildball was our own IP and the success that we had with that in terms of you know growing the game and getting to meet you know thousands of awesome people, um, and then also the access that we had to uh, the licensed uh, video game fund through you know mostly my my kind of background and my sort of experience and contacts in in that particular industry because that's that's where I came from before we started Guild uh, before we started Steamforged um so with that in mind we then sort of set off on on both those those directions now obviously dark souls um was a colossal job and i think it would have been a colossal job for a company that had been around for 10 years let alone a company that'd been around for about 10 months so there was a horrendous um quite miserable growing up period um through through all of that um and what was what was awesome was discovering a a fierce determination for us to to see it through and, and deliver what we said we would do um albeit you know much later than, than people's expectations um that being said uh, the amount of content that we unlocked really knowing what we know now uh, when we look back at dark souls we actually recognised that we we unlocked about three or four years worth of content. So if we would if we'd been much smarter about our project planning right at the beginning and announced what the new updated roadmap was following the enormous success of the project, I rather suspect that we wouldn't have been that far away from from being on time. But we didn't do that, and um, we didn't manage expectations appropriately, and and we got to learn that lesson uh, the hard way. Um, you know, it is what it is. Um, we we did get it out. Uh, Dark Souls continues to sell extremely well. Um, it's it's still an incredibly popular IP. Every expansion that that we release, you know, as a result of, of you know the unlocks through through the Kickstarter process, are well received. You know, there is a small percentage of of people, and it's a tiny percentage. It's much smaller than I thought it was. Um, the people who are obviously feeling like we've we've um, done them a disservice, um, but they are a vast minority um we actually sent out an email just before the third wave of shipping um to to all of the backers um just to make sure that we got their addresses right because when we sent the wave two out we we had um quite a large number of, of returns of address unknown and that that was obviously a headache and and you know an unexpected expense as well you know while we rerouted things around so we thought well we'll get ahead of it and get an email out and we were trying to sort of take a guess. I wonder how many replies we'll get. 
you know, everyone hates us, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and we had, I think, a 96% open rate um, and out a 90% uh, answer rate within like the first seven days. So, I, you know, there are people who are upset about us, about Dark Souls. There is a bucket load of people who, who are quite happy to talk with us and, and share experiences with the game. So, you know, and I think that that encapsulates we're not unique in that, right? That encapsulates every company's uh, interaction with their uh, community or customer base or however you want to describe it, regardless of industry. I think there will always be a, a percentage of people, small percentage of people who, who expect more and, and, and don't feel happy with the current performance of the company. And I think there is a, a huge silent majority who are quite happy with, with what's being done. And, um, and uh, you know, it's... It's, it's trying to keep those guys in mind when, when you are working your, your way through some of the muck and the bullets sometimes, because it can be quite, um, can be quite, it makes you sad, right? It's, it can be quite harrowing, like, you know, feeling like you can't go onto social media because you just don't know what you're going to walk into. Um, you know, it can affect your, your mental health, um, and just make you feel quite sad that you're not. I mean, we only started this company to, to try and make gamers happy. You know, we wanted to make games that we wanted to play because we were dissatisfied with with the current crop that was out there. So to feel like we're failing in that really does, you know, we, Rich and I take that quite personally. Um, but yeah, so, so sorry, go on. No, I, I, I was really interested in that because you know it's a very familiar uh, sort of position from my work, and it's quite tricky. It can be very like it's difficult to disassociate um, yourself. And your sort of on one's own emotion and one's own like passion for where for what you do from the sort of perception that your your sort of customers or your community have of you and obviously what you you have as a sort of games company is is a community that's incredibly interested in everything that you do right you know like a part of me wishes that uh, you know my work we had a yeah we had people that were this passionate about it and part of me thinks it would be the worst thing in the world but I guess like how do you balance that because because obviously. It must be very tricky to not be a bit oversensitive about the community's perception of you. Like you say, if you go on, uh, you, you go on to Gobs or you go on to Discord or something. When, and particularly when something has not gone as well as it could have done, mm. uh, or, or the comms hasn't been as smooth as it could have been. Um, how, how, how do you guys deal with that? And, and do you, do you think that actually can sometimes affect your behaviour in relation to project communities, or, or how do you stop it doing that? Well. It's, so how do you how do you stop doing that is is uh, is abstinence um, like certainly one of the the most successful techniques that I've used is is just try and minimize the amount of time I go onto things like Facebook and and, and Twitter Twitter is less less um, uh, I want to say the word toxic but it's not really a word I'm looking for I, I find Twitter less um, impactful uh, Facebook can be can be quite um, can be quite upsetting and as you say you know whenever we put something out um or whenever we whenever we do something um there are there is always going to be a segment of the player base or the customer base or however you want to describe it who who are not going to agree with it because not everything can please everyone all of the time and one of the best examples i can tell you about that is is you know take take gilball for example is if you have Imagine a um, imagine a spectrum, and at one end of the spectrum is the is the highest possible standard that Gilball can be possibly played at. It's the top top table of of the, you know the world championship, and at the other end of the spectrum is your. I have literally just bought this game and I'm playing it for the very first time. 
Now, you guys know as well as I do that that the guys at the world-class end of the spectrum will win 99.9%, if not 100% of the time, against the other end of the spectrum. So so what we need to identify is, is if we're onboarding new players, how do we onboard them into a safe environment where they don't feel like they're going to get crushed every single game? And sometimes you need to broaden the spectrum to you know to the to the right to to make it more new player friendly to make you know the models a little bit um, easier to play or a little bit straightforward but but every time you bring out a model that's a little bit simpler to play a little bit more direct the world class players are also going to have access to it and trust me they know exactly how to take a a a direct model and and leverage it to its maximum so you don't actually really affect that spectrum you have to think about it in really creative ways and when you're doing that, your actions are are less obvious to people because, you know, we we all observe things and we all kind of, you know, I watch you all chatting about, um, you know, the government and, and how they're dealing with, with the virus and everything. And you, we don't know all of the why fours and wherefores of how the, you know, the GDP is calculated and how to manage that and what the difference between, you know, sort of the fiscal balances and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. But we all have an opinion. We all kind of mm-hmm. go, that seems like you doing a good job or oh, I'm not sure they're doing a great job at all. So knowing that you don't know everything, there is there is still that super engagement that, that we have with our hobby. We love what we do because it's we do it for fun and 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 the nature of the people who are attracted to gaming and the nature of the games themselves are incredibly immersive and and people just want to engage with it as much as they possibly can. And sometimes that does mean that the only avenue they had when they disagree with something is is to integrate with it in a negative way, and it's very hard for people to kind of and I you know I'm the same way right, um, but it's very hard for people to kind of um, my granddad used to have a saying which was if you've got nothing nice to say say nothing at all, and I kind of think that that's not actually a bad saying that should have a little bit more kind of um, headlines around the world because I think I think it will just make the world a bit more of a smiley place. Um, it's a tricky one, isn't it, that? Because you've got, I guess, like, where like, you have, I guess, the same thing, like, you know, the, the sort of joke that every person in England is a football, is a, is the England football manager. You know, it's it's things where people are very close to or very passionate about and have strong views on. And then, uh, like you're saying, you know, obviously none of us, like, neither Andrew or I know as much about how SFG is run as you do. Um, and, you know, and so on. So it's there's a really interesting, like, that level of, that level of engagement, I guess, is also a thing that means that people are really keen on what you produce, and they really care about it. And they, you know, and they rush out and buy it, and they, and you know, they'll pick all the stuff up. So it's which are exactly the, the you know, the feelings and the and the levels of engagement that we, we want to create, you know, uh, from a yeah. business perspective, but also from, you know, we've always said that we're gamers making games for gamers. So you know, to to see people jazzed about what we do and want to play it and be super engaged with it, you know, is 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 super exciting. Um, the, the other thing to bear in mind as well is is out of a thousand negative comments, there will always be one or two nuggets of absolute gold that if you if you just put your hands over your ears and, and close your eyes, you're gonna miss out on those. And I think one of the one of the things that keeps me going through when it does feel quite quite oppressive sometimes is is that there is always value to be had in listening to what people are saying and, and what what they're you know um observing and why they're feeling the way that they're feeling so it, it's hard and look you know there's no there's no magic wand that you can wave there's certainly no um 
there's certainly not like two inch armor plating that I can put over myself every time I dive into to you know read the comments on a on a Facebook thread. You know, some days it, it's hard, and other days it's it's less hard. Um, but you you do it because you know that it's important to understand what people are thinking, how they're feeling, and and try and understand why they're feeling that way, and then identify what the right thing to do about it, if anything. You know, and sometimes the hardest thing is is the, the right course of action is is to continue on the course that you've you've kind of set yourself out for because you know what the ending is going to be. And you can't always tell everyone the whole story up front because there's no fun in that sometimes. Yeah, that must be tricky for you because, you you know, you must obviously have, oh, well, wait and see as a, a thing. But I also, I guess also from like our limited experience of it, Facebook is, it's quite inconsistent. So I think I, before I was doing this podcast, before Andrew kindly asked me to come on this podcast, I tended to not really look at the Facebook groups for Gilbob because I found them quite aggressive. And then since we've been on this, we quite often put calls for questions on Facebook. And so as soon as you ask people something, they we get really good questions every time, like the stuff that we've not thought of or we wouldn't have considered. And so it's a really interesting, I guess, balance between like sort of, as you're saying, like inquiring with people and getting the start, getting information from them and, and I guess asking them their thoughts about specific things rather than waiting, you know, some people who just shout loudly on those yeah. groups get, know, get presence because that's how social media works, right? It's, it is how it works, and 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 one of the you know the coping mechanisms is is that you identify those voices that that are consistently um, high value, and you and you also recognise the opposite. Sadly, so those voices that are consistently low value and just noise, it, it's a lot easier and a lot safer to kind of just pass those out and uh, focus instead on the on those people who are, um, you know have pro have shown in the past to kind of ask really really good questions and mm. and, and give you pause for thought um and i think look i think there are some funny things that happen um one of my favorite things that, that ever happened uh with with gilball actually was um i can't remember the name of the character that we were uh, one of is one of the new captains that we released last year and um uh and there was a post that went up almost within like a minute of, of the sfg post going up Oh my God, this is the most broken crap in the world. No, it wasn't broken. It was, oh my God, why would I ever play this? This is so underpowered. Uh, this model is no captain. This model is blah, 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 absolute trash, blah, blah, blah. And then about four minutes later, the same person posted, I went, yeah, I've just looked at the back of the card. Yeah, I think it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's probably me. Probably me. <laughs> I know exactly. I'm not going to say their name, but um, it's it's like, like why how did you even press return on that how did you yeah. press the send button it's like on, to be fair you have like a 30 second sort of pause between writing it oh. the enter and it appearing online yeah should do really i mean maybe it's just me because you know obviously i'm conscious that a lot of what i say on social media is is representative of steamforged and it's not possible for me to i don't think it's possible for me to have a personal view on social media without it you know um somehow reflecting back onto onto the company because you know how intrinsic i am and um so i you know whenever i post anything on online it's uh it's incredibly rare that i don't read it at least three or four times and try and work out how that's going to represent me how it's going to represent you know the company am i happy with what i'm saying because once it's out it's out there in the world forever you know and i just i don't know they should teach these kids this stuff at school i just think it's basics now 
you know. I think we're starting to sound like uh, three old men who don't really understand the internet quite quickly, aren't we? Yeah. Um, but, but I guess, like, I guess what's interesting about that is, I, I guess one of the things with with that sort of, you know, how that, that stuff works is is sort of information trust. So I guess one of the things I've been curious about is, like, you know, how many people actually work at SFG? Like, how big are you guys? What's the structure? You know, if you can say how many games are you currently working on, like that sort of thing. So I think no one really knows. Okay, um, so so um, right now we're we're forty-ish people, um, predominantly in the UK. Um, there is uh, at least three games that you guys don't know about that we're currently working on in are. development. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, they are, they are, yeah, we were going to get the sponsor there. It's chess, right? You guys are doing chess. <laughs> I've heard it's quite the coming thing. <laughs> well, like, you know, I, I can quite happily tell you that they are uh, a wide variety of, of, of pretty excellent, uh, pretty excellent games. So we're we're super lucky with the um, uh, with with the way that we've kind of delivered um, quality in, into Dark Souls, into Resi, you know, Horizon, you guys obviously know about it. It just opens a lot of doors, you know. So this is why we're able to work with Microsoft on something as you know high profile as Gears. You know, we we have um, access and opportunity for um, some some really mouth-watering um, uh, like IP from the video game and, and TV world. So that's that's pretty excellent. Um, one of the other things that we are doing, though, is is really um, doubling down our efforts on original um, IP as well. So we've got um, at least uh, at least a couple of, of, of new IPs that, that you guys won't have heard about that we're working on as well uh, at the moment. Uh, and my, my backlog is, at the moment, about 20-odd projects long. So... Um, so we've got plenty of healthy, good quality stuff coming down down the track over the next couple of years. Yeah, so presumably if presumably if Steamfog stop make stops making new games now, it's gonna be like two years before everything's out. You know? Yeah, the hardest thing for me, and then probably one of the reasons why I don't get to talk to you guys as much as I would like to, is um by nature of my role, I, I tend to touch the project the most at the beginning and then lightly touch it towards the the sort of middle end. Um so I'm I, I kind of go into a bit of a black hole for about 12 months while projects are getting developed and, and, product, and production's happening. Um, I do, you know, work with the developers and the designers um, and keep keep tabs on projects, you know, on a, on a biweekly basis just to make sure that the, you know, they are they've been tested properly and and you know the the, the original intent of the game isn't being lost or if it is you know if we have shifted the goalposts we know why and what we're now aiming for um but yeah i i, I kind of i tend to sort of um spend most of my time actually what do i spend most of my time on i think i spend a, a, about two-thirds of my time is on um business development and um and also director kind of responsibilities and then about a third of my time is 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 still um, pure design work. Um, I do I do around sixty hours a week at the moment, so not nothing too terrible. Um, so yeah, so forty hours roughly on 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 busy stuff, business stuff, and and twenty hours on awesome fun stuff. What's the I guess in terms of like you're saying it's interesting to hear about that that sort of I guess that sort of mixed portfolio that you're trying to create, right? So there's a sort of balance between your own IP and then tie-ins with existing brands. What 
what's the sort of balance you have with that at the moment, I guess, in terms of like where time is spent as an organization and, and you know, what, what sort of pays the bills and, and where are you looking to go with that? If you're allowed to say, because I'm aware that some of this stuff might be confidential, so feel yeah. free to. Well, look, I mean, as, as you guys um, probably know, we we, um, we took on some investment partners at the beginning of um, last, well, this time last year. And one of the things that they are really pushing for is is always uh, developing original content. Um, the the balance is always original content takes longer, is harder, has more risk, um, but does add more value to the to the business overall, um, and is and is is probably a lot more fun from a purely creative sense because you obviously don't need to get it signed off by anyone, you don't need to constrain to any pre-existing you know um, constraints on the IP. You can kind of, within theory, do whatever you want. Um, that being said the video game ip we we do have a really um healthy and proven creative process that we're, we're happy with it generates really good results and uh it also um enables us to bring you know sort of video game ips to to kind of board game and, and card game fans um and it you know it's it's a it's a healthy part of the of the overall revenue of the business as, as i'm sure you can imagine because i guess that's one of the i guess one of the worries isn't it when you know especially for people who've originally come to you guys through say guild ball or, or any of the sort of earlier releases is um the, the idea that you might be moving away from that or so so i guess how integral it's interesting to hear you say that those sort of that original ip stuff is a the really fun stuff and be a you know a key part of the business and i guess where where does guild ball sit within within that process as well so you know guild ball is is where it started it is um uh, an original ip it has a really strong brand identity, um, and now I still sound like I'm kind of reading out of a management book. Speaking <laughs> as a gamer, it's still a kick-ass game. It's still a game that has a super tight rule set. is a hell of a lot of fun to play. I, I still, I still pinch. Oh, I pinch myself sometimes when I play it because it's like, should I still be enjoying it as much as I do after all this time? It, it's still a great game, you know. Um, so. Like a lot of products, though, it, it, it will go through life cycles. And I think one of the things that if you look at some of the, the games in the market that are, that are quite long in the tooth now, um, you do recognize that, that some of them have gone past their, their healthy sell-by date and really ought to have, have been reimagined or reinvigorated um like long before, you know, before the, the current state of that game. And, and others you know, that you see did get that that kind of um, version two or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, gone on to sort of strength to strength. But in the period leading up to that, there there is a there is a uh, there is a waxing and a waning. Um, and and Gilball right now is 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 a like I say, super clean rule set. The the models are crit critically balanced. Um one could almost say too balanced, and I can talk about that in a, in a second. But um, but you know, and the, and the and the the story arc that sort of uh, Sherwin and I have been talking about with each other for for about seven or eight years now um, is is coming to to a you know a thrilling conclusion, uh, and that leaves us a a platform to launch from. Um, so right now, where that where we're going to launch from, and, and and when and how, and and in, and in what direction, and um, very much up for discussion and, and certainly 
making sure that the community is part of that discussion as well because you know Gilball's grown much much more than it just being you know Matt and Rich's game and, and then Jamie and, and, and Bryce's game it, it's it's everyone's game right now so it will go back to that what do we think is right for the for the game you know what can we do do we need to do anything can we just keep putting out teams um uh or do we you know develop the storylines further do we scroll the timelines well you know the beauty of Gilball right now with the coherence of the world that, that's been created and the, and the robustness of the rules is we can almost do anything um so that that is a that is quite quite an attractive um proposition and uh Trust me, there isn't a day that doesn't go by at Steamforge where we don't spend at least 20 minutes, half an hour talking about Gilball and, and some of the, you know, what if we did this and what if we did that? So it's, it's still very much alive in our hearts and our minds and, um, and we still spend quite a bit of time talking about it. So it's really interesting. Is there a plan beyond minor guilds? Plan beyond minor guilds? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, there is a plan beyond minor guilds. Uh, minor guilds are part of the plan, um, as are the, um, the original guilds and, and beyond that. So, um, quite what that shape, the shape of that plan actually looks like is, is, is still very much being talked about and, um, lots of different ideas are being tested out. What's quite fascinating is, is some of the, you know, the, the sort of like field tests and things that we tried out over the last few years. Those, all of the results of those have gone onto our kind of ideas board. So, you know, we've we've got quite a quite a well of experience and 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 feedback for us to kind of keep dipping back into while we're while we're looking to work out what the next shape of guild ball should be. Um, and you know, like I say, the, the the core rule system is so clean now that we could just keep adding more content to it, and I don't think that would necessarily be a bad a bad call. The only thing that I want to keep an eye on is is again that distance between the new player. And the, and the very experienced player, because I think the greater that distance, um, the harder it is for us to onboard new players. And as is, as is a, a fact of life, uh, games do attrition out. You know, people find something new and shiny to kind of jump on and, and forget about the game that they, they were passionately playing, you know, last year, but they might, you know, they'll come back to it. We all, we're gamers. We, we, we kind of go around in cycles a little bit. Um, Every now and then I dust off my Age of Sigmar army, play a couple of games and then put it away. I'm, I'm kind of cool with that. Um, so, yeah, we, we, minor guilds and, 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 and the major guilds are obviously part of the core identity of, of the whole world. Um, so, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, be crazy not to, to, to be factoring those in quite heavily. Interesting. I, I guess there's two things I want to pick up from that. Though. Thanks for that, man. That's, that's really interesting. I think, I think the first one is, I can just hear in the back of my head people going, "Oh my God, Matt said that like Gilball's going to end and it's going to be finished." So I, I guess like, what's is there anything off the table in terms of your options for it? Because I guess you you've got everything. Don't you? Like you say, you could just torque it a little bit from where it is. Because as you say, the rule set is fantastic. And I know uh, over the last few months when there's been some chat about stuff that's not gone so well, like locally, everyone's just said, "I don't want to stop playing this because the rules are so good." Mm. So. I guess like are you know you've got those options of just talking it up about haven't you and then you've got the the option of doing sort of Warhammer end timesing it or like or you know uh, or sort of I I did a lot of work on the sort of Epic Armageddon uh, community once GW stopped running that or or having the community take it over is is there anything like off the table for you guys at the moment when you're thinking about that Yeah so there's there's two things that are off the table um uh, one is um is is not doing Gilball 
that's that's off the table um it's is going to be a case of making sure that we are doing the right thing it is a case of making sure that it's scheduled um you know in amongst the other projects that we're with that we're doing um but but cancelling and walking away from gilball is is off the table um that's that's not going to happen um the other thing that's off the table is um is a prioritization of uh top end tournament play um because i don't think it's it's healthy for the game overall if i'm speaking really frankly um i think the that and we talked about it a couple of times is is i think that the more the focus is on that top end of play the harder it is for new people to get into and you know you guys know me i i play a, a lot of league of legends and league of legends is the same kind of game you know where they focus and balance the game entirely around the professional level and it makes it harder and harder and harder for for new players to get into the game and that's why they have their ranking system and they can you know admittedly it's slightly you know their matchmaking is slightly busted but at least you're not getting matched bronze into platinum um you might get kind of bronzes into silvers and that still kind of sucks if you're the bronze player um but we we don't really have that luxury with with a tabletop game you can't really legislate for for who you're going to come up against so really the, the game itself needs to needs to be a bit more of a level playing field um so there's lots of things that we've got um in our mind's eye uh, there's a lot of things that are really counterintuitive that actually really serve to to kind of narrow that gap um the challenge that we've got is narrowing that gap without devaluing the 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 benefit of skill experience and plast uh, and, and practice because if you don't have that with a game well then it doesn't have any challenge and it has no fun and people won't play it for as for as long as they do so it is a real balancing act it's not it's not the easiest of tasks um, no that's tricky because i guess one of the fundamental strengths of the game is is the playbook mechanic and one of the things the playbook mechanic does is sort of evens out dice spikes like the, yeah. I know the roll better guys were talking about this a bit recently, but you know, like if you roll six sixes on an attack playing guild ball, it probably doesn't have the same effect that it does in you know another board game because yeah. you just hit the top of the playbook. Like so, and and so because like dice spikes are less variable in it, then it's often you know like you'll have games in other systems where you're just like, oh well, I shot down your you know you brought one of these big you know, sort of centerpiece model to the board and some guy with a bolt gun just blows it up because you roll yeah. really well. And Gilbo doesn't really have that. Like you have to or it's it's that mechanically is less common. So that's just a difficult thing to bridge, isn't it? but it's also a fundamental strength of the game. Yes. Well it, it, it's a strength and a weakness. So um the the the, the reason why it's a is a strength is for all the reasons you've you've just described. The reason it's a weakness is um if you are a less experienced player playing a more experienced player, the reason the more experienced player is better than you is because they make more efficient decisions than you do. And yeah. they make more efficient decisions uh, knowing that, you know, it's basically it's the house edge is, is what they're working on. And the bigger the edge that they have in terms of the efficiency of the decision, the, the better it's going to be for them, you know, um, compared to, to how you're going to play. Um, now, if you've got no variance or you have little variance uh, as a result of the smoothing of the, you know, of the, of the dice profile, uh, you know, the, of the spiking, um, then, then kind of where does it come from? You know, how does a, how does a weaker player stand a chance of, of beating a, a more experienced player? And the reason, and the, the way that other games do it is they have, you know, a bit of a YOLO chance. It's a bit like in War Machine where you, 
you, you I don't know, you you try an assassination run, you know you're going to get one hit, and then sometimes you just roll trip sixes on your on your on your damage roll, and you didn't really deserve to win it, but you did win it, and then and it sucks for the person who was in really strong position, and and truth be told, it sucks a little bit for the person who yoloed six three sixes, but it keeps people keeps their feet a little bit more on the ground. It means that the experienced players aren't always going to win. There is always that kind of, you know, gambler's chance um, for, for a, you know, a less experienced player to pull something off. And, you know, and you, you do look- still get that with Guildboard. I guess, I guess the tricky bit with that is, is exactly that comparison, though, isn't it, Matt? If you, if you, if you randomise that element more, and this is just now just interesting, if you randomise that more, why would you not just go and play another game with that randomized element it's also part of guild balls usp isn't it is mm-hmm. that that's that, that evenness of system so i guess how do you guys account for all of that yep that that is the question that's on the top of the whiteboard there's a there's a i mean there's a dozen different ideas up there that that you know that we're looking at and thinking about and we and have talked about uh endlessly it's 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 important that the guild ball maintains its identity it's important that we recognise that Guild Ball really is um, uh, a, a game of, of, of almost known quantities, and how you use them is is what differentiates you from success or failure. Um, but there is there has to be a little bit of gap there, and we have to create a little bit of space for someone to come along and and, and try something, and it and it comes off, and it you know. Um, and it gives them that chance, that chance of kind of pulling off an, an unlikely victory. Um, so it's there's there's lots of different ways of doing it. And like I say, like you know, a, a lot of them are actually counterintuitive. Um, so let me give you an example. So so one that I see an awful lot, and we see we saw it um, most recently with God Tier, is the concept of drafting. And you think on the face of it, yeah, drafting sounds good. You know, this model is is considered broken by the community. Uh, therefore, if you can if you can ban that, um, that's great. Or if you can counterpick into it, that's great. Um, and it all makes makes sense. However, if you don't know that that model is broken, if you don't have enough experience of the game to understand the comp that your opponent is building, what you've actually done is given your opponent a greater advantage than they had if you just randomly pick six models each and put them down on the table. So the counter counterintuitive argument would be grab six models and put them down on the table randomly. Right. And I'm not saying that this is what we are doing, by the way. This is just an example. And it may well be that you're the experienced player. You put down six models that aren't as compatible as the six models I put down in front of me. I've ended up with a couple of nice OP bits and a few bits of, you know, a few decent combos in there. Suddenly, through through pure random chance, I've actually got maybe a 5% edge on you. That is kind of where it's slightly counterintuitive because it feels weird to say, right, randomly select six models from your collection and that's what we play, right? But in actual fact, what that does is that 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 shortens the gap between top-end play and, and bottom-end play and it makes it a little bit easier for a bot, you know, the, the bottom-end of play or the new players to, to you know, compete. Does that does that make sense? Is it, is yeah, because really- list building is a skill, right? And, and sort of drafting is... So, yeah, it's essentially... Like drafting is your equivalent of list building and guild ball, and you if you randomise that, I can I can give you a similar example, which is when I went to the WTC for the first time on the UN team. We didn't really know each other, the team we met on the day, um, you know, and we're sort of like, well, we don't want to have any sort of, and you know, you go to WTC and people have systems where they have Excel spreadsheets of advantage and disadvantage matchups. So 
round one, we just shuffled up the three cards we had with our names on them and put them on random tables because that was the best thing to do is we weren't we weren't the favorites we weren't going to do it we're like a it was funny uh and b um you know it actually worked out in some cases because people had these very complicated draft strategies that then they couldn't play into us yes yeah yeah no so if you tried to describe that someone i'm not sure that they would immediately see the benefits of it and that's that's kind of part of the challenge that that we kind of discover at the moment you made one other point, which I think ties into this. You're saying that models are too balanced, you said in yeah. your previous one. Uh, yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit? Well, I think when models are too balanced, um, there, there can be a problem. So, again, um, and this is always easier with a whiteboard, and, and the designers and developers uh, are bored to tears of me telling them this. But if you take, um, again, imagine a spectrum or a line between two points, and uh, point, the point in your right hand is. Um, is the strength of a model and the point on the left on your left hand is the weakness of the model now the line that's drawn between the strong aspects of the model and the weak aspects of the model let's call that gameplay right now if you send a model like this out uh, to play testers and you're testing it internally and you look at it and you get the feedback that says oh this model is too strong at x y and z your natural inclination is just to always slightly kind of detune that knock it down a notch or two you know and, and that that will make it a little bit more balanced, right? But what you're actually doing is is reducing the gameplay. Um, you know, the gap between those two points is the is the interest in the model. So really, w- what you want to do when you when you have a super strong element of a model is increase a weakness, increase a vulnerability, because that actually creates an opportunity for counterplay in your opponent. And that increases, that stretches the line between the two points and therefore increases the amount of gameplay that's available. So it's quite easy for, for models to kind of become a little bit too well balanced. The gap between them isn't as big as it could be. And what that means is there isn't enough opportunity for counterplay. And, and that's the thing that I feel can, you know, when, when you have models as well balanced as they are and the guys have done a phenomenal job, and it's sometimes it's only once you've finished a job that you take a step back and think, "Huh, okay, I've learned something from that," and I and I think that that's that's a that's a good thing that we've achieved it. But I don't know if that's the thing that we actually want, the effect that we want. These balanced models make it incredibly easy for you to pick the six models that you like the look of, and you know full well that they are completely balanced, um, and the the meta doesn't swirl around. There isn't play and counterplay. And that's one of the things that's really important to to learn a lesson from from a game like League of Legends, where they constantly do a patch, they constantly tweak models that were out of, out of favor suddenly come back into favor because they've had a little buff. Items that got a little bit of a, a tweak suddenly take another model out of meta, and before you know it, you're not seeing like you know super strong bruises in the top lane. Naturally, it's swelled around to being sort of assassins in the mid lane and a lot of roaming. And if there's roaming, then that means that like the jungle isn't you know is, isn't as safe as it used to be. So you don't see the farm junglers as much. But then what happens is one of the farm junglers will get a, get a buff, and suddenly farm jungle will start going. Do you see how how the yeah. swirl of I an see what you're saying? I guess I guess where it, it's sort of in a nutshell. It's like I guess there's a there's a thing to talk about in this, which is in terms of like it's variance. You're talking about basically variance rather than overarching power level, because obviously you can just introduce like one of the big complaints people have is when totally broken things get released. But I get, yeah. I, I, from what I'm gathering, you're saying is more, you know, you can have a queen because you also have a king, 
Yes. If that makes sense. Like you have you can have this very powerful, very varied thing because you also have a weak thing yes. that affects how you so it's it's more like variance within play that you can use and variance within power rather than like outright, you know, we'll fix this, we'll uh we'll re release, you know, the original version of Vetbor and we'll just make him, you know, move ten, tack twenty. Yeah, it's 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 also, you know, taking the chess as an analogy, it's 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 the difference between having sixteen pawns on each side. Yeah. Uh, and having eight pawns and and you know the variants of all the other pieces behind, and each of them has a you know a unique role to play and a unique strength and and, and weaknesses. Um, and and again, like you know, you mentioned the queen. You know, the queen's worth eight points, and um, that that's kind of that that adds to the gameplay. The fact is, the queen is worth eight and a rook is worth five. That that means that if you can trade a queen, you know, a, trade a rook for a queen. And then, then that's great. You're ahead, you know. So there's when when the models are so well balanced and they are pretty much identical points wise. If we sat down and pointed out where Gilbo is right now, I think you would you would probably find it hard to argue more than one or two points either side of of the same number across the board. That's how well balanced the game is. But yeah, I think I think that's fair. There's there's, there's nothing that would be uh, a thousand points or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you had a three thousand point list, that you know maybe a captain, but that's inherently balanced out. Well, I, I think have to I think have we could talk to you all day about game design, uh, yeah. and I know uh, <laughs> one of the things we wanted to talk to you was about was about events yes. and about the champions program and things like that. So yeah. should, should we shuffle onto that? Andrew? Yeah, I mean, we're at one point. That's we're on two points out of six, and three quarters an hour through it. So let's get on with that. So. Um... The Champions program. Um, there's been a lot of confusion yeah. about it. I mean, um, obviously, from a, from a personal level, I was a bit um, surprised by some of the outcomes from it, which I think is not really mm-hmm. a secret. Um, and um, I think it's probably best to have some kind of, um, I don't know, some kind of top-down um, sort of uh, look at what's going on and you know talk about it really. Yeah. Well, I think I think the thing to to think about with with the Champions program is. There's a couple of factors that, that are really worth um, highlighting and considering. Um, one is the pundit program had lost its way. There was uh, there was an awful lot of um, people signed up as pundits. There was uh, not nearly as many, um, you know, pundit-like activities uh, as there was number of pundits. Uh, so that was that was something that that needed to be addressed. And it's not you know that we expect people to be out every weekend running events, but if someone is out working working hard and building their local community and working hard for the hobby because they love it and you know they enjoy being a pundit, it's not fair on those people for for other people to do next to nothing, if not nothing, and and enjoy the same or perceived same same status. So something had to be done um, with that. Um, the other thing is is Steamforge does have a habit. Of, of leaping in with two feet and uh we have learned our lessons over over the years that leaping in two foot it isn't always the best idea and sometimes it's much better for us to take a new initiative and to to really put out you know a, a very small um initial run of it that will iron out any kinks that will that will kind of identify any you know wobbles in the pipeline or in the process and and then we can kind of start turning the taps on a little bit more and more and more and start ramping up. Whereas before, I think, you know, we, we might have just leapt in two-footed, rolled out the Champions program, had a billion people sign up and then gone, oh, God, it's why is this collapsing around our ears? So I think the approach 
of migrating the pundits um, uh, away from being very Gilball centric to being much more game specific uh, or get you know sort of specialising in certain games reflects the the overall direction of, of Steamforged, and um, it's certainly a lot of the the feedback that we were getting from from Steam cons um, over the years um, was was those people who turned up because they wanted to play Guild Ball didn't really like us talking about Dark Souls or Resident Evil. And those people who tuned in because they wanted to hear about Dark Souls really didn't want to spend all their time listening about Resident Evil or Guild Ball stuff. And why did we spend three quarters of the time talking about Guild Ball and not talking about Dark Souls? So it was it, it made a lot of sense for us to kind of think, well, you know, the, the, the work that the good pundits did for, for Guild Ball, if there are people out there who want to do the same thing for Resi, the same thing for Dark Souls, the same thing for God Tier, you know, and the other games that we have coming up. It makes sense for us to have a, a system that that can accommodate that. So that that's really where the you know the Champions Program was 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 born from. Um, so you know, it is it is one of those very hard to change um, a big thing into a little thing without there being some um, some degree of um, the word I'm looking for. People who are affected more than we want them to be. Um, do you think the? Do you think because uh, that makes sense when you say that? I guess that's quite. That's not necessarily how the comms around it, the communications around it, was framed. And I think that might have been one of the issues that was created. Do, do you think you guys could have handled that sort of slightly better? Because I think there wasn't necessarily clarity that it was a scaling down program, and I think that's what. Led to some disappointment. And obviously, one of the tricky things, I guess, from the community side of it is every. Although I totally agree, there are loads of pundits who weren't doing stuff or signed up more day. But also, the other thing is, everyone who goes to events and everyone who plays obviously knows a pundit who was doing a really good job. Yeah. Uh, because you only need one or two really good local pundits. Even so, if you've got ten inactive pundits or who are just you know getting the getting the advance notice for stuff or cheap offers, you still got two ones who are basically propping up the local community and supporting and enabling it yeah and i get and that's a tricky thing right because they are obviously a number of them were quite upset by the wording of the program because you know they're volunteers they're doing this for free there's a few little perks in there for them but you know but fundamentally they're volunteering so so do do you feel like you could have handled that better or, or what happened there how did the message that you've just given us get become the sort of you know we think you show potential email yeah, well, it, it's it's one of those. So, so fundamentally, um, the the communication went through um, a, a a reasonable and decent um, kind of review process internally. So, we all saw the messaging, and we all felt that the messaging conveyed uh, the key points uh, in a fairly clear fashion. But that being said, it, the the net result is clear that there was some confusion caused by the communication. So regardless of how we felt, how comprehensive we felt it was, clearly it wasn't clear enough for everyone um, as to what we were trying to achieve with it. Um, so I think, I think, I don't think that's unusual, to be honest with you. I think, you know, we, we think you guys want to want to chat about, about Steamcon and, the, you know, the announcement about that and what the plans are with that. And uh, again, with the Steamcon announcement, there was very a very clear kind of outline of of what we wanted to do, why, and and how it was going to roll out. And I and I think that the, the the message was was lost in the you know in the body of the text, as it were. So I think that's that's the feedback that we need to take is is 
identifying those areas where we weren't as clear as we wanted to be um, or use languages, you know, that the, the people wanted to respond to um, and making sure that, you know, we adapt. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're here for you guys and we want to make sure that we're, we're talking with you in, in, in the right way because that then leads to you talking with us in the right way. And that is the way we all get on and stay mates and, and play games together. Sure. You know, it's it's one of those. It's a simple case of of that, that that we thought the messaging was clear and concise, and perhaps in its conciseness and brevity, it, it lost a little bit of you know personality, um, and and perhaps a little bit of the message wasn't as clear as it needed to be. Um, and and once confusion had kind of, I say confusion, you know what I mean? Like you know, not not it not being completely clear. I think once that had set in, then then the the internet and social media sort of took over um, a little bit. So uh, it's it's one of those. We, every time we do something, we always consider it internally. We think about what we're doing, why we're doing, how we're doing it. Then we put it out, and then we basically measure the results and and then look to kind of readdress our our approach uh, for the next time. You know, hopefully we won't make similar mistakes too many times in a row. Um, and you know, hopefully, you guys will see that. Yeah, it was, it was a shame about the champions thing because um, a lot of what you said about the pundit scheme makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think, unfortunately, the end result was that you had a lot of people who basically felt a bit sort of thrown out, almost like a bit like the baby with the bath of yeah. water and a bit abandoned by it. Uh, whilst that was probably wasn't the aim of the of the changeover, I think that was unfortunately the outcome. Yeah, it, it it's it's a, it's one of those. It's it's we couldn't. I don't think we could safely roll out the champions program taking on all of the active pundits. Um, we wanted a small set of people that, um, that would enable us to kind of test the system and make sure that it, it worked how we wanted it to work and then quickly expand it back out to those, those active people. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those that you can't please. Every person all of the time um, seems to be kind of the motto of, of this podcast. But <laughs> I mean, that's that's literally our strap line. <laughs> it's, it, 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 this is just another example of that. Is is overall it is it is a strong positive change of direction that will be beneficial to everyone. Um, you know, but it's it's a, it's the it's the start of a journey, and sometimes you know journeys. Are, are painful to kind of begin with. So, um, since we initially asked you uh, for this chat, um, since then uh, there was an announcement about Steam for, about SteamCon. Yeah. Yeah. So the intention with SteamCon is um, again sort of learning from our lessons. So the last SteamCon that we did was in that um, funny black kind of room, wasn't it? Where we were promised the Earth, and then turns out there was a boxing match, so we ended up being relegated to being quite second class sort of customers. So. We, we we kind of had our nose put out joint a little bit by that, if I'm honest with you. Um, it cost an awful lot of money and really didn't deliver the the kind of convention that we would we would like to go to ourselves. So so we we reevaluated the, the the kind of uh, the quality bar for the venues for us to for us to attend and, and use for SteamCon. And the minute you do that, the the pool of options becomes smaller. Um, that being said, that's, it's not it's not impossible to find to find places that, that hit the criteria that we wanted to. But the problem is uh, when you are a small business or, or 
40 odd people and there's a whole bunch of projects going on and um there's a lot of upheaval you know both internally and externally you know what with various things that happened over the last you know 12 18 months um locating a, a venue um at the right cost and the right kind of um, suitability just you know as time marched on it become harder and harder and um that along with the conversations that we we're having about the champions program and the recognition that it just doesn't make sense for us to have a steam con and then try and fit all of the projects that we're doing under one roof um gained more and more strength and more and more credibility as it is the more we talked about it internally and one of the things that we do recognize is um that we do have uh you guys have both been to to the forge haven't you we've got a brilliant um uh facility at steamforge hq it's well lit it's got air conditioning and or heating it's got plenty of toilets with lots of loo roll and it's clean and there's car parking probably doesn't have much loo roll now i'd imagine that's probably yeah yeah they're using old copies of gilball um season two <laughs> i think um trying to use the paper up but uh no it's but it's it's a brilliant facility it doesn't quite hold the 300 odd people that we were getting for you know steam cons um uh, but it would hold very happily and feel quite quite a cool atmosphere you know 100 to 120 130 people so you know we we kind of had a look at that and we're trying to work out how we could do it. could we put a marquee out the front and what would that be like and this that and the other and and in the end that you know the solution really is is for us to create um, a much more meaningful, tight experience for each game specifically, and then run some set piece events for each of those games specifically. So whether you call that kind of mini Steam Cons or whether you whether we come up with a whole new name, but the intention is that we will do a cool weekend event uh, that focuses entirely on Gilball. And anyone who's in, you know, everyone who's anyone who's in, in the Gilball world will be there and we will do a keynote and talk just about Guildball stuff, and we'll be there playing lots of games of Guildball, you know, and there might be the odd side game, right? But uh, we will also be able to do a board game con. So all of the games that, you know, that obviously we've made and ones that we love, um, we like anyone who's, you know, uh, in the Steamforge community who loves playing board games, come along and we'll do a, you know, a big nerd out playing board games. We'll probably do a similar one for, you know, a role-playing style event. You know, we have... Uh, obviously, a number of role-playing products uh, that, that, that are in the market and obviously a number that we're working on um, behind the scenes. Um, and we also have a really healthy RPG community up at the Forge. We have 70-odd um, role-players every Tuesday and Thursday um, turn up and, and play their games. So that could actually be quite a, quite a cool, fun convention to run. Um, and you know, and the list goes on. We can, we we can, and will do a God Tier campaign weekend, and we'll do a keynote about God Tier. And so, all the things that you love about Stinkon, you know, in in sort of years one, two, and three, um, did we do three or do we do four? Three, I think the one. The third one was the toilet one. I so, guess, I guess, with with that, I mean, it's really interesting. I and I can see where you're going as you talk about, you know, you were talking earlier about the diversification of the portfolio, and and I think, you know, you're right. I've been to I've been to conventions, and you know, Steamcom was one of them where it's like, well, I'm not particularly interested in, you know, I don't play video games. Uh, Andrew and I have had this conversation before, so I'm less interested in video game tie-ins. I guess one of the sort of two bits for that is, you know, so you, so you're going down that, you know, that sort of direction set out in the 
Mission to Win is these separate events that will run, and that and that's the the path for the foreseeable future. Then so you're not looking at some point to reconsolidate all of that into one oh. event, or is it a sort so, of try and see how it goes thing? Yeah, no. Look, everything is always um, on yeah. try. Right. So so if we if we do this and it turns out to be a brilliant formula, then we'll carry on doing it. If it turns out that you know it wasn't as cool as we thought it was going to be, then then we'll adapt and, and, and come out with a new game plan. That's 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 all we can do. I mean, yes, it would be amazing if we could um, create a mega con that had, you know, 800 people turn up to and, and we all kind of go into our kind of cool little places, but then there's a lot of mingling and cross-pollination. I mean, obviously not right now with the virus, but sometime in the future, that, that would be pretty cool. Um, but right now, it feels really in line with with what we want to do you know with the business and how we want to you know make sure we we interact with the various communities in a you know in a, in a meaningful and even way is is to go down this kind of mini convention style approach um the other thing to bear in mind as well uh is and this you know quite boringly is um is also a question of balancing the books and yeah. uh, right you know it Guild, uh, Steam cons really, really um, were quite. How can I answer this delicately? Steam cons proved to be challenging at business case level. Um, I, I, I was very. T- I, honestly, my one of my next questions was: I, I'd assumed, having done some stuff in events before, that you must have lost money hand over fist on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, and I guess also in terms of logistics, like you guys are an SME, you're, you know, you're forty people. I, yeah. I, I wonder, did. Because it's quite hard to run big events with an organisation that size, especially if it's not dedicated to event delivery. Um, did you guys maybe lock out with the first SteamCon going so well, and you know, and then there's a sort of you know you sort of set something that is very hard to deliver against as well, even taking into account the fact that you know it did not perform financially as you would have hoped. But in terms of the experience, that may have been the sort of thing that actually had you produced like five or six years into the business existing that would people would have thought you'd built up to it but actually you made a bit of a rod for your own back there i definitely think stinkon one set a, a really really strong bar um yeah. it really did um so i never and- made it and I, I just continually hear about it like the two things i continually hear about in guild ball are steamcon one and original obulus <laughs> the- which was also synonymous with guild ball, uh, with steamcon one of course but, uh, <laughs> yeah of course yeah it's I don't know. I don't even know if I could tell you what was so awesome about Steampunk One because it was a mess. You know, we were split across multiple yeah, places. Then you walk across the venue, you walk up some stairs to the keynote place. There were all the places were separated and stuff. It was a weird venue. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, only uh, a few of the staff managed to get rooms on site because there was only about 10 rooms on site um, and everyone else was off site. So, there were some crazy people who just sort of stayed up all night because we did 24 hour games. So they stayed up just drinking all night. Um, it, I don't know. I don't know what it was about Steampunk one. I, I don't, and I, I, I guess now you've asked the question, it's going to scratch at the back of my mind. So ask me again next time you see me and I might have a better view on it, but it just felt like a really cool event. And then when we did Steampunk two, that actually felt a cool event, but there were just bits about it that just weren't good enough. Um, you know the expense of the of the food and the nature of the food. You know, I actually quite like the atmosphere, but I also understand that the lighting kind of sucks when you're trying to play a game, and especially if you're playing Brewers and you're and you're reading white text on yellow background. Um, you know, you better know your cards if you're sitting in a dim room for that. But uh, um, so yeah, it, I, 
I guess we were lucky. We were lucky with Sing Form One. Um, and I think we, we we went on to to try and do bigger and better things. And I think Stinkon 3 really, really kind of sort of put it, you know, drove it home to us that if, if we're not careful, we, we you know, we're not going to deliver something that we're proud of. And there was elements of Stinkon 3 that, that weren't great. They really weren't great. Um, you know, like the, I don't know if you guys got caught up in the, in the, in the car park situation when the boot sale was on, you know. I, I think I'd left by then, but I obviously did. I did use the. I did have to use the toilet, so that was the. Uh... Yeah, exactly. One toilet for three hundred feet. It's like so. It, it what there's many parts of that that were infuriating because we were promised so much with that venue, and then ultimately it just wasn't there on the day. You know, up to and include. You know, um, oh, I don't want to. Turn, I'm not. It's not in my nature to sit there and kind of complain about stuff. But a good example is um, is we turned up and it's like, um, well, what's the Wi-Fi? And they're like, oh, no, the Wi-Fi is being used by next door now. And you're like, well, hold on. We actually need the Wi-Fi for all the tills and everything like that. Yeah, so, yeah. It, and, and that kind of started on the on the Thursday, you know, and it just went on from there. So I think we, we got our fingers burnt a little bit with that, which is why we kind of went, right, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it properly. We're going to find a great venue. We're going to find it at a good price. We're going to find it in a place that makes sense for everyone. And we're going to put on the show that we want to go to. And as I say, you know, when you set yourself numerous different goals that you need to hear it just gets harder and harder as time marches on and you you're not finding the place that that is absolutely perfect for all of it up until the point where you just think well do you know what we we want to do something you know we really want to do something we love meeting you know people that you know there's people like yourselves i I see once a year if i'm lucky so to miss out on that feels really sad so you know putting on the the mini cons felt like a really sensible route and the fact that it's on our property, the fact that it's well within our our control as to the experience, you know, knowing that the the, the you know the Wi-Fi is good and the the facilities are fine and and perfectly acceptable, and we've got a lot of flexibility with what we can and do and and, and show people. And do you know what I mean? I, and I feel like it would be a cooler, more authentic experience for it to be at Steamforge HQ, and we can show people around and this that, and the other and 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 you know try and be as transparent as we can about who we are because you know that's that's really where rich and i started was that you know complete transparency we're just a couple of guys trying to trying to make a game that we thought people would like so it'd be, it'd be great to kind of go back to that more it really is gonna it was gonna happen um over the summer um but with the coronavirus i, I rather suspect that that's that's gonna we're just gonna have to play it by ear really I'm, I'm, yeah yeah, um, and I think there's a little a little tangent note on that. I think is that, you know there's been a few. Well, basically every event has been cancelled in the last couple of weeks, and I just think um, yeah. kudos to everyone who's done that. That is absolutely the right call. You know they're doing the best thing for the community, and I'm sure people will be coming back together at things as soon as they possibly can. And I, I also thought Matt on that on this sort of note of uh, you know a, a pretty difficult time that everyone's sort of living in. Um, what what sort of gets you out of bed about the job like what are you excited about for the future of uh guild ball and for for steamforged uh specifically you know we've uh you know we've just had the shepherds guild they seem great so so what what gets you out of bed in the morning and what are you excited about for in the future um so i'm excited about um about the the rise and rise of the, of the quality of the minis that we're putting out um i think it's one of our hallmarks 
I think I don't know if you guys, uh, Andrew. I know you, you you're a role player, but I don't know if you guys picked up the dogs and the cats. Um, but the the cats minis that that came out, the the cats that come out. If you can grab hold of a set of those, the 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 quality of the plastic on that is is unbelievable. Um, and it's I, I'm pretty comfortable saying I think we make amongst the best PVC minis in the world right now. So that so it's a combination of, of um, a growing experience in terms of um, understanding the process, making sure we're sculpting, you know, in a way that generates you know high quality results. We're always tinkering with the with the PVC uh, and the, the makeup of that material. You know, obviously. Um, this year has has been a little bit tricky, but we we spent a fair bit of time in China um, working with with the factories. And um, one of the things that, that I don't know is you know is is common knowledge, but PVC is um, the composition of it. It varies from model to model, or from manufacturer to manufacturer. But also the temperature and the pressure uh, that you inject it into the mold changes um, from mold to mold. And from manufacturer to manufacturer, and also in relation to the different type of material, so it is quite alchemical in a way that you are—it's almost an art form rather than a science. Um, so, so the more we know about that, the more we can ensure that we're sculpting um, and laying out models on a frame in a way that that generates really good results. Um, so, so that's always something that really drives me on. Um, I think the biggest thing that drives me on is just the, the quality of the people that we have at Steamforge now. Like that, you know, there are there are people at Steamforge that I, I genuinely look forward to to talking to because you just don't know what what you're going to get out of a conversation with them. You know, Russ and I sit down, have a random conversation. He talks about a dog in a hat, and next thing you know, we've got Animal Adventures as a as a brand new brand, and it's you know it's, it's done amazing things. You know, I, I sit down with you know Richard who. Um, uh, one of our development team who, who focuses mostly on kind of role playing stuff, and he and I are spitballing ideas about crazy products like you wouldn't believe. And Sherwin and I are constantly kind of batting forth ideas for you know this IP and that IP, and actually should we keep that for our own because that's too good an idea. And you know that's that's what keeps you going is is the sense of freshness and newness and and being invigorated every single day by the people that that you're surrounded by is is what keeps us going. Brilliant. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cheekily cheekily ask you if you've got any little tidbits about what minor guilds we might see after the shepherds. <laughs> um, so uh, look, the lamplight is, is the is the um, the most poorly kept secret in the world, isn't it? And at some point in time, we're gonna have to deliver on that. You shed that some light on that that question. Thank you. Shed some light on that. Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, alchemists and masons and blacksmiths are left to think yeah yeah so um uh i i, I have spent uh, a fair bit of time um uh, chatting with doug about the uh the art direction for the lamplighters um they've got quite a quirky sort of feel to them so i'm, I'm definitely looking forward to them moving into the sculpting team's hands and, and seeing what they come come out like I mean that is that is the perfect note for me to end on, Matt, because that is <laughs> as, as a very keen alchemist player, and uh, I'm I'm delighted to hear that. So uh, I I think unless you've got anything else, Andrew, um, is the minor guild to the masons just the masons? Is the minor guild to the masons just the masons? More masons. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, no. All, all the minor guilds will follow the, the same sort of um, the same sort of pattern, um, and then uh, obviously we we will sit down and work out um, the, the the beauty of the minor guilds is it again gives us loads of options. So do we double down and do another six man set for each of the two, for each of the minor guilds and turn them into a full guild? That's obvious and fairly straightforward. And yes, we can do that. Do we? I don't know. Uh, uh, assimilate them into the into the parent guild. And just make one big mega guild. We could do that. Do we just add one or two models to each of the each of the minor guilds and just keep them as a as a you know that that sort of like fun alternative way of playing style that you know that where they were born from you know in terms of design space. Yeah, we could do that as well. So you know the, that's the real beauty of the minor guilds is 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 um, is that we can kind of do whatever we want. And here's the other thing is. Um, my OCD is not that strong that I don't mind mixing it up, um, which, um, which I know will kind of freak some people out. But, um, but I think, you know, I think creating an asymmetry within the game would be a really healthy thing to do because I think it would, it would create a bit of a swirl. Um, but we're also mindful of the fact that Guild Ball is a tournament game currently and... Um, and, and will continue to be so. Um, so we need, just need to be mindful of, of the competitive landscape uh, and how that's affected by, by what we do going forward. Brilliant. Well, thanks for that, Matt. I really appreciate it. Um, if any help yeah. for the questions Very to well. Matt, um, his email will be in the show notes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll go from there. Um, thanks a lot. All right. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Cheers, Matt.